You are listening to a broadcast of Dublin First Baptist Church, Pastor Cameron McGill in Dublin, North Carolina. If you'd like more information about our church, please visit us at www.dublinfbc.org. That's www.dublinfbc.org. Now let's join the congregation of Dublin First Baptist Church and the Lake Church to hear from God's Word. John chapter 3, again, as we look into the life of John the Baptist and some things that he did, and hopefully um, you have this week also had the opportunity to, uh, to look through this study yourself and answer some of these questions ahead of time and prepare to share. I don't want it to be just me up here talking the whole time. I'd like for us to kind of talk together like we did last week and the week before, and thank you, Ray. Um, let me make sure it's going to work. Oh, yeah, it's working today. Good. Um, as we look through these sessions, uh, ultimately remembering that our goal, or our, our hope, our, the reason that I think the Lord led towards this study is just the idea, again, of what we're supposed to be doing after we're saved. We're, we're making disciples. We're going out and sharing uh, about Jesus to other people is what we're supposed to be doing. The Great Commission, Matthew uh, 28 and Acts 1-8, those, those passages of Scripture where Jesus tells us to go out and be a light, be a witness, and to tell of who He is. That's what disciple-making is, really, is going out and teaching people who Jesus is and, and allowing the Holy Spirit to work in their heart, sharing the gospel that they would be saved as well, that they would come to a knowledge of saving of Jesus Christ and then multiply again from there. And so as we look into these different uh, uh, episodes, again, I don't like saying stories, I think I mentioned that last week, but episodes, or however you want to call them tonight, uh, we see different ways that we can model and pattern our behavior today that we can be an effective disciple maker and an effective disciple making church as well. And last week, again, we looked at Nicodemus, and Nicodemus is the picture of people who, like Pastor Cameron was talking about today, are spiritually minded type people but have never had a truly salvation experience. We talked a lot last week. It was so, it was so um, amazing and just knowing that God is working to hear a lot of the, the things, the message today, uh, similar to how we had talked last week about people that sometimes try to work their own salvation by, uh, you know, I'm in church, I've been a church member my whole life, I'm on a committee, I do this, I do that, I'm working, I'm working. I've built up this list of things that, that is making me saved. And, you know, we looked last week at Nicodemus, and the week before we mentioned Paul and, and Philippians, how Paul had this list of things that made him spiritual as a Jew. You know, that he had good stock, and he was a good breed, he was well-educated, he was a Pharisee, he was intensely persecuting the church before his conversion. And all those things, at the end of that chapter of Philippians, he says, I count it all as loss. It's all dung. It's nothing. It's worthless because I was working for my own salvation, and I can't do that. And I think that probably a lot of the Pharisees, and I can't you know, say for sure, but I think that's probably what Nicodemus' mindset was as well as a Pharisee before his conversion, was that he also probably had a list of things in his mind that was his self-righteousness. That was, and so he's coming to Jesus at night, and he's acknowledging that Jesus is a good teacher and that the things that he's doing have been blessed by God because otherwise they wouldn't be able to happen. But he's not acknowledging that Jesus is the Son of God, that he is the Savior. And so he's still trying to build up this head knowledge of God without having a heart knowledge. And Jesus answers uh, directly in verse number 3 of John chapter 3, Verily, verily, I say unto thee, except a man be born again, 
he cannot see the kingdom of God. And ultimately, that's what it's all about. Unless there's spiritual rebirth, unless there is a time and place where a person recognizes their need of salvation and that Jesus is the Savior, and they uh, go to him and ask him and pray for forgiveness of their sins and ask him to be their Savior and to uh, uh, follow what we see in Romans uh, 10, 9 and 10, that unless that happens, the person is not truly saved. And so many times people try to uh, build their own self-righteousness up, and it's been going on for ages. We even went all the way back to the garden and talked about how in the Garden of Eden, when, when Adam and Eve tried to cover themselves with uh, fig leaves, they were working their own work of self-righteousness, and it took a work of God's righteousness in sacrificing the animals and making animal skin clothing for them that became the covering that was acceptable to God. It was not what they had done with the work of their hands that was acceptable to God. And that's an important thing. It's the work of God that is acceptable, which is ultimately why Jesus came uh, to die on the cross. And we talked about that last week as well. That's what Jesus was saying. He said, I am the one who has to be lifted up. He went all the way back to uh, when, when the Israelites were wandering through the wilderness and they had those snakes come in. And how did they get healed from the snake? lifted a, bra a brass snake on a pole, and they looked at it, and they were healed, right? And a symbol of evil became a symbol of salvation and healing. And Jesus said, just like the snake, I have to be lifted up. And people look at the cross, a symbol of evil. And they look on the cross and they, the testimony of God and trust and accept that and believe. And that symbol of evil becomes a symbol of salvation as they look to God and look to the cross and accept that salvation that given to them. So this week we're going to look at John the Baptist. And as you saw in your study, if you did it this week, uh, the three things that made John the Baptist an effective witness for Christ, the three things that we can also do in our lives, uh, and I hate to make it sound like that, but it's, the, I mean, it's what the study is, but you know, it's like one of those self-step things, you know, seven ways to make your life better, but... You know, but three things that John the Baptist did that we can apply in our hearts and our lives that will also help us make uh, good disciples if we're following that. And uh, the first thing there is that, G, uh, that John the Baptist, uh, I lost it, guys, I'm sorry. Anyway, three things we're going to look at tonight. He was uh, pointing to Jesus, he was uh, witnessing of Jesus. And he was humble and joyful. There we go. Sorry. Um, so we'll start off with this illustration, though. Have you ever had something that you were trying to work on? And it was, what do you do with something when it's broken? Fix it. Okay. Uh, toss it. Throw it away. All right. So getting some different responses. You, you either fix it or you toss it. So many things, uh, I think, today are made to be thrown away, are they not? Uh, and some things that used to be made, you could fix them easier, right? Okay. Uh, so I'm not very good at fixing things, so usually if something doesn't work right, I probably just, uh, you know, put it aside and try something else, you know. <laughs> uh, I'm, not a, I'm not a fixer. But, but we just, we live in a society, too, where if something's broken, we just throw it away. We get a new one, right? It's not worth it. Um, but... And I like the illustration that was in the book specifically because it was talking about those glow sticks. And I thought about getting a glow stick and bringing one in here, and I, I didn't do it. But, but you know, a, for a glow stick to work the right way, it has to be broken, right? 
You know, they've got the chemical inside of it, and you have to snap it in order for it to mix together the right way. Uh, so a glow stick is useless unless it is broken. And in our Christian life and in the way that we should be living humbly before God is that it's important for us to be broken in order for God to use us. We're not going to work the right way and not going to work the way that God wants us to work if we are not broken, like the light stick. We're not going to glow the way that God wants us to unless we're broken, and that causes that. So, why, so, so what ways then does brokenness or humility help us follow Jesus faithfully? Oops. I kind of answered that other question there. Why is it necessary to be broken so we can work the right way? But what ways does humility help us follow Jesus faithfully? Okay, depending on him. Okay, it's important. Any other thoughts? How does it help us? I think it helps us realize... Uh, uh, our place when we're at humility if we're if we're and we're going to talk about that kind of specifically here in a minute but if we're full of pride and we're full then we are attracting people in our own strength in our own way and that is going to fail someday our strength our imagination our creativity our intelligence is going to fail someday and it may have instant success or a short-lived amount of success but eventually uh, it's going to catch up to us. When we're humbly following God, uh, the power of God never fails. And the power of Christ working through us never fails. And no matter what goes on down the road, if we're walking in his power and depending on him, uh, then we're going to see continued furtherance of the gospel, and that's important. So John the Baptist helped prepare in those three ways. He pointed to Jesus and his kingdom, found his greatest joy in Jesus' exaltation and warning and witnessing of others. So let's look at these here tonight. First one, John's mission, pointing to Jesus. Look back at your Bible again, John chapter 3, and we're going to read this uh, whole portion of Scripture and then take some application. John 3, 22. After these things came Jesus and his disciples into the land of Judea, and there tarried with him and baptized. And John also was baptizing in Anah near uh, Salim because there was much water there. And they came and were baptized. For John was not yet cast into prison. Then there arose a question between some of John's disciples and the Jews about purifying. And they came unto John and said unto him, Rabbi, he that was with thee beyond Jordan, to whom uh, thou bearest witness, behold, the same baptizeth, and all men come to him. John answered and said, A man can receive nothing except it be given him from heaven. Ye yourselves bear me witness that I said, I am not the Christ, but I am sent before him. So there's a little bit of conflict here arising from uh, a perceived problem that John's uh, disciples had during the transition. And there's the transition time as uh, John the Baptist, and we're going to see later on as John the Baptist knows uh, it's time probably for his ministry to decrease a little bit, Jesus' ministry to take more prominence. And so there's this transition period, and there could have been a lot of major problems, but John remained humble throughout the process because he knew his mission. Look back at verse 28. Here's his mission. I'm sent before him. I'm sent before Christ. Look over uh, in your Bible in Mark chapter 1. Mark 
Mark chapter 1 and verse number 2 says, As is written in the prophets, Behold, I send my messenger before thy face, which shall prepare thy way before thee. That was John's mission. That was John's purpose there, was to prepare the way for Jesus, to begin preaching and begin making the way straight. The call to repentance that John had and the call on his life of baptizing those was to prepare people's hearts and minds for the coming of Jesus. And in the same way, our, our uh, job is to do that, prepare the way for people to be able to understand who Jesus is. And, per, and to, through our lives, through our actions, through our words, we're preparing people around us in their heart to hear who Jesus is. We're, we're preparing the way, so to speak, as we are, become a witness to those that we're in our family or in our place of business or wherever we go throughout the week, throughout the day. There are people around us that are looking at us and saying, you know what, that person's a Christian. And the way we react, the way we do things, our manner can help, so to speak, uh, prepare the way. John's disciples were concerned about a question here, but John went right back around and said, listen, guys, it's not a, that, that's not what's important here. What's important is that the mission is to magnify Christ. The mission is to prepare the way for Jesus so that people can uh, see him above everything else. And these disciples may have been confused about what was going on. They may have misunderstood. They may have had wrong motives even as to why they were asking. Perhaps they were getting jealous. Perhaps they were jealous for their master, for John. They were upset that people were going to John now or going to Jesus now instead of going to John. Uh, but whatever the reason is, uh, they had a misunderstanding. But John quickly put it back in the right place. Let me ask you this too. And these are some tough questions this week in the book, by the way. Have you felt like the success of someone else was a threat to you personally? And how did you respond? That was a question from the book this week. That's a hard question to answer sometimes. We may not want to answer that out loud, but I don't know if there's anybody out there that's just thinking, hmm. Have you ever felt like that? You ever had a time where you, you felt like, man, it may not have been it may have been years ago, I don't know. Where the success of somebody else. And that was a hard question, I think, to ask. Uh, and a lot of tough questions in the book this week. But I think if we were really honest with ourselves, I think all of us could look and examine our lives and think of a time that maybe there was a little bit of jealousy that we've had. Someone else was a little bit better at something than we are. Someone else maybe had whatever. And how did we respond? And I think the thing is, we're looking at John tonight. We're looking, how did John respond when people were going to Jesus? Right, right, that's for sure. I think that's kind of the point, too, getting back into the thing. He, he did understand that. I think sometimes we, uh, if we understand that in our ministry, too, I think it, it does change the way that we respond. We respond more like John because we're realizing it's not a competition. So, but that was, I thought that was kind of a tough, a tough question. Let me ask you one that's maybe a little bit easier. How do you think John's disciples expected him to respond? 
just what do you think? Do you think John's disciples were expecting a different kind of response from what John had? Defensive. Defensive, maybe. Right. He had to clarify. He did. He said several times he had to clarify. They asked him. But I think that's important. And getting back into the main thing here, I guess, those were kind of harder questions this week. But but getting back into the main point here is that, as was mentioned, John knew his role. John knew his place. John knew what he was supposed to do. And to apply it for us, you know, we also have to remember that in that role, we need to get ourselves out of the way. It's not about us. We're pointing to Jesus in our life, too. We're supposed to be pointing to Jesus, as John did, pointing to Jesus, uh, that others would see him. So he avoids the conflict by immediately turning it back around and said, I've told you before, I'm not the Christ. You need to look elsewhere. And that should be our response as well. That's true brokenness. That's humility. That's recognizing his role. And that's what we need in our life too. Looking on in that, John calmed their concerns, again, in verse 27, reminding them of his mission. He reminded them also that he never testified of being the Messiah. You're back in John. Look over at John chapter 1. He knew where his role was. Here is in John chapter 1, verse number uh, 20. We see, uh, uh, he says, and he confessed, as John, and denied not, but confessed, I'm not the Christ. Um, look over at uh, verse number 23 of the same chapter. He said, I'm the voice of one crying in the wilderness, make straight the way of the Lord, as said the prophet Isaiah. And so that's what he said about himself. He never said, I am the Christ. So he reminded them that he never testified of that. He recognized that his ministry would end as Jesus came on the scene and that it was supposed to be that way. He had true humility. He had true brokenness because he realized that the portion of his ministry was going to be coming to an end and Jesus was going to come on the scene and begin to uh, do his ministry and to bring people to him, to draw men to him. I don't know. It was only six months before he was coming over. Right. As far as they didn't come over. Right. But there could have been a situation where John would be, you know, out there preaching for several years. Could have been. Don't know. Could have been. I don't know. I don't know that I've ever heard that time frame. I don't know. I don't know either, yeah. I don't know. There's, I don't know. But he could have had, I mean, it could have been a long time, could have been a short time, but whatever it was, when the time came, I think he knew, all right, it's time to transition over now, and Jesus is coming in. So what's our joy? What's our humility? Our joy should be as John's joy was to see Jesus lifted up and to see uh, his name be wide known. Our pride has to be broken, just like that glow stick. It has to be broken in order for us to shine and our pride has to be broken in order for Jesus to shine. So we have true humility. We're used as John is. Um, 
And we usually think about things having to be fixed or repaired or in good working order for them to be used. We're the opposite. We have to be broken in order to be used by God. Uh, and, and like John also, if we get ourselves up in the way, we become of no reputation. If we get ourselves up in the way, we distract from uh, the true message that we have. So what ways then does our mission today resemble that of John the Baptist? What are some things that we can look at and say, okay, well, we're not ending yet, by the way. This, we still got two more sections. Sounds like an ending question, though, doesn't it? Well, what are some ways? We've already looked at a few things. What are some ways, though? Tell people about Jesus, pointing to him. Mm-hmm. We're preparing that way. We're preparing the way for who Jesus is. I'll ask that question in just a minute, okay? I'll ask that question in just a minute. So that was John's thing. John says, I'm not the Christ. I've been pointing to him, and now it's time. Let's look on to the next section here uh, in, uh, in John's next uh, thing that he is doing, and that is of taking joy and exalting Jesus. Look back at John chapter 3, verse number 29. He that hath the bride is the bridegroom, but the friend of the bridegroom, which standeth and heareth him, rejoiceth greatly because of the bridegroom's voice. This my joy, therefore, is fulfilled. He must de- increase, but I must decrease. So John's manner is humble and joyful. John founded, found joy in exalting Jesus. John found joy in exalting Jesus. And that's where we also need to find our joy, exalting Jesus and making his name known. That's one of another thing that we do that is a mission of ours today that can resemble John the Baptist's mission. Okay? Uh, he is humble and joyful. John's response, again, shows his character. And that's an important thing to look at as we go through this. His character is strong because he's not jealous. He's not upset. He's not hurt. He doesn't respond out of anger. He doesn't respond out of well, you know, I can't believe they're going to him either. You know, why are all those guys going over there? He knew what his role was and knew where he was supposed to be. He must increase. I must decrease. That was his uh, um, phrase there in verse number 30. And it's like I got this little thing here on this, what it says, more of him, less of me. And ironically enough, this one actually glows in the dark too. So, uh, But the point is, is that's what we should do in our lives as well, that we decrease he increases, our brokenness, our humility shines forth. John compared himself to the best man at a wedding. And you know the best man is important at a wedding, but it's not the center of attention, right? Really the bride is, right? I mean, we know that. But, but, the, but the groom's pretty important too, right? But, but, the, but the idea there is that that's not where the focus is. People don't say, wow, the best man, wow, wow you know? Um, but the best man should be and is usually joyful on his friend's day. Um, and that kind of goes into, in the study there, it kind of goes into a, a story there. And I'll tell you this, it, it happened for me in a very similar way. Um, through this different circumstances and things, um, my best friend that I grew up with was my best man, and then a year later, I was his best man. Okay, so we kind of swapped roles there within a year's time. And um, it is exciting, right? It's exciting to be a part of that. And to be excited to see your friend happy. 
and to see other people around you happy. So here's a question then for you as well. When have you, and that was the one that was up there, when have you found great joy in helping someone? Someone else is in the attention. Someone else is in the spotlight, but you help them out on their day. Yeah, that's a good one, yeah. Mm-hmm. But I, I, can, I can understand that one, too, as all the years that I was teaching, too, yeah, when you see them graduate or you see them accomplish something else that you've been working with them on. I had a, I had a young man. Every year we had music competition, and every year he would ask me, Mr. Knight, do they have drum solo competition this year? No, they don't have it this year. And then his senior year, they finally had it. They finally added it back into the Georgia uh, competition. And so I went out and got him. And it's not like drum solo, like, you know, you know, like a drum set like that. But it's like a a rhythm pattern that he played on a snare drum, just a snare drum. And he had a little rhythm that was kind of pattern that he played. And and, uh, so we worked on that thing and worked on that thing. And um, he won at state level. So he went on to the Nationals level, and that was in South Carolina at Greenville, and he won there too. And it was exciting because he won. He did the work, but it was exciting for me to be his teacher to see that. So there's another. See, I didn't think about that. That was a good one. Okay. Anybody else have something like that? You, you had a hand in helping someone, but it was really that person that was, had the attention to the focus that Yeah. Yeah, that's a good one too, right? You you've gone to see someone, they've put the focus and attention on them, and have helped them, encouraged them. So yeah, that's good. All right. Anything else that comes to your mind? That's good. Those are all good examples. I didn't think about those when I was doing the study this week. But that's good. Okay, good. Yep, that's a good one too. Definitely, definitely. Good examples of helping out people and preparing and getting good. Yeah, and that's, and that's important. So then the next question, then kind of a follow-up here. What was the experience like when you helped someone else who was in the spotlight? Right. Right, but you, you get joy from being a part of that. You sure do. I think we could probably all say that together, that we've had those times where we've had that, we see the joy, and we didn't get the attention or the thank you, but we had the joy along with them. So good. And that's, and that's, where, that's again, what John the Baptist was, was getting back to. Okay? My joy is fulfilled in knowing that Jesus Christ is magnified. My joy is fulfilled in knowing that the attention and the focus went to him instead of me. And so in a similar way in our lives, we need to 
do those things that are going to help point, Jesus, uh, point people to Jesus, that the attention and focus is on him. And when that happens, we see people's lives change. We see uh, uh, people being saved. And we can be joyful at watching that person get saved because they've put their focus and attention on Christ and they've had that life-changing experience and maybe the day that they're baptized and we are joyful sitting out in the congregation watching this individual get baptized because we know that a witness that we had, God used us as a witness in that person's life and they've accepted Christ and we have joy, we share joy with them. And that is important too and that's what John said. Listen, this is important for us to do. And we found that. John understood his role, and he knew that his joy and his goal should be to have Jesus lifted up. And we take joy when Jesus is lifted up, when he is exalted, when we come together and we worship his name, and we come together in singing, and we come together in church, and the focus and attention then should not be on ourselves and what we can do. And, and we have different talents and different gifts and different things that make us the body of Christ. When we come together, those things should be working, not that we get the attention and the focus, that people say, wow, you did such a great job, but, but that people come together and see the body of Christ working together, and it points them to Christ, and they can be saved. They can be uh, uh, changed. Their life can be changed forever because of that. And we take joy in knowing that uh, people are getting saved, and that God is using us in that way. And our joy should come from that. Our pride has to be broken in order for us to do that. And we see again, as John said, he must increase, I must decrease. And we have to make ourselves and push ourselves out of the way in order for that to happen. Are there any areas, and this may be another one of those hard questions, of our life that make it hard for us to find joy, complete joy in Jesus? It may not be something that we necessarily want to answer out loud, but just thinking about that, are there areas that make it hard for us to find complete joy in Jesus. Any area where arrogance comes into play. Okay. Any area where arrogance comes into play? That kind of goes into the follow-up question with this one. So the relation, when it's hard for that to happen, what is the relation of pride or humility in those areas? If arrogance is in the way, we may not have our true joy in Jesus. We may have that competitive spirit rise up a little bit. We may be tempted to begin thinking of ourselves as more than we are. We may be tempted to think of ourselves as more important. So we have to be very careful, I think, about those things. Looking again back at John's testimony and John's example, he must increase, I must decrease. I find my joy in knowing that God has used me to help point someone to him, to Jesus. Right. Right, right. But he always knew where it was, so that's right. All right, well, let's look at the last part here of our uh, study tonight, John chapter 3, verses 31 to 36, and finishing up the chapter here tonight. It says, He that cometh from above is above all. He that is of the earth is earthly, and speaketh of the earth. 
He that cometh from heaven is above all. And what he hath seen and heard, that he testifieth, and no man receiveth his testimony. He that hath received his testimony hath set to his seal that God is true. For whom God hath sent speaketh the words of God, for God giveth not the Spirit by measure unto him. The Father loveth the Son, and hath given all things into his hand. He that believeth on the Son shall have everlasting life, and he that believeth not the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God abideth on him. And this is the third thing. The first thing that we're supposed to do is point people to Jesus. The second thing is we find joy when Jesus is exalted. We find our joy when Jesus is magnified and Jesus is exalted. And the final thing tonight is that we witness of the love of God and also the warning of God, the warning that is there that we see in verse 36, okay? That we can have everlasting life, but if we don't accept Christ, the wrath of God abides on us, and we need to remember that's part of the gospel witness as well, okay? So John was a witness, and this is important here. He saw that Jesus was sent by God, and that rejected him meant rejecting eternal life. So having that understanding there, he's going to move forward. John knew that Jesus was superior when he, because of where he came from and what he taught. Okay? John recognized also that he was under the authority of God. He is when he talks about, look back at verse 31, when he says, He that cometh from above is above all. He that is of the earth is earthly. He's talking about himself. He's talking about other people. He said, hey, Jesus came from above. He's above all. He has all authority. But myself, I'm from the earth. I'm earthly. I am under the authority of Jesus is what he was saying. And so even John is there. And so he recognized also that he is under that. And we recognize also, we should in our lives, that we're under the authority of Jesus. Everything Jesus taught was and is true. Everything Jesus said of himself was and is true. But John was just an earthly witness speaking about Jesus. And this is very important. It kind of went through this in the, in the study there, the last day of the study. But Jesus is the Son of God, and when he spoke, he spoke the words of God. Because he is God. He's the Son of God. We talked about that at the very beginning of this whole study. Okay? He's God with us. He's Emmanuel. He is uh, the one that is talked about in Psalm 102 and Hebrews 1.8. So that's the foundation there. And when Jesus speaks, he speaks the words of God. Jesus is the word of God in flesh, John 1.14. And so when he speaks, there's authority and power there. When John talks about Jesus and when we talk about Jesus, we're witnessing about him, we're talking about him, okay? But when Jesus speaks, he's speaking the words of God. Jesus also had the power to give the Holy Spirit. Look over at that verse. Verse number 34, for, whom, for he whom God hath sent speaketh the words of God, for God giveth not the Spirit by measure unto him. Jesus had the power to do that. And what that means is he's not limiting or holding anything back. A person who receives the Holy Spirit receives all of the Holy Spirit. He's not giving out in a limited way. The Holy Spirit is giving it fully. And so he had the authority to do that. Jesus did that. John did not have the authority to do that. Jesus did. So he's recognizing those things. Jesus had, the Holy Spirit, or Jesus had the power to give the Holy Spirit. John did not. Jesus is from heaven. John is from the earth. Jesus speaks the words of God. John speaks about Jesus. Jesus gives the Spirit and life. John affirmed that Jesus' testimony of himself was true. Those are things that we do. And what Jesus does, he 
speaks the word. So what truths about Jesus should be part of sharing the gospel? And what do those truths communicate about who Jesus is? What truths about Jesus should we share when we share the gospel of Christ? The true Son of God. So as we go out, that's what our, we're out to testify, to give those things, and, and to be that witness there. So John's witnessing of the power and love of God, he's also warning, too. He's also warning about it. Look back again at the end there of this uh, chapter. The Father loveth the Son, and hath given all things into his hand. He that believeth on the Son hath everlasting life, and he that believeth not the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God abideth on him. And that's a hard thing sometimes for us to sit back and look at. There's been a lot of books written about these different things. There's been a lot of people with different ideas and talking about it over the years. But it's an important truth that John not only talked about God's love, but that God also, or excuse me, that John also talked about God's wrath and the consequences of rejecting Jesus. He was honest about that, and he spoke of that uh, in, in this uh, passage. He spoke of the wrath of God abiding on those that are not accepting of Jesus Christ. The wrath of God is his good and righteous judgment on sin, and he has that authority of judging sin. Those who do not believe are on the road of destruction, and God knows our sin already. There's nothing that we can hide from him. There's nothing that we can cover up. And yet, because, and yet, despite all those things, he's gracious, he's patient with us, he's offering eternal life, he's offering forgiveness to us. But those that reject Christ ultimately have an ending place. You know, people's, people's greatest desire sometimes is to live, you know, they want to live as long as they can. I mean, who doesn't, right? And, and the news is that people are going to live forever. Just where are you going to live forever? When a person accepts Jesus Christ as their Savior, they're going to live forever in heaven with Him. But a person who doesn't, a person who rejects Jesus Christ, is going to live forever in a place called hell. It's a reality. And Jesus spoke a lot about that. He preached a lot about it. John was a witness of it as well. 
And, and, and as John didn't leave that part out, we can't leave that part out either when we go out and witness. And we're not out there to, you know, beat people and put up those signs like you see sometimes and all the stuff, you know. We're, but we're out there to patiently explain in a loving way that there is a consequence for not choosing to follow Christ. Those who persist in sin will have judgment one day. And John was open about that. He said, listen, there is a day coming when there's judgment. There is a day coming when all will stand. We're saved from punishment because of Christ, and so we have to faithfully be a witness to the whole gospel. And that includes telling people, as John did, that there is a day of judgment coming. There is a day of judgment coming. What role does speaking of God's judgment have in our witness? Why do we have to do it? Why do we, why do we have to do it? Why do we have to uh, talk about that part of it? I spelled that wrong, you can tell. I missed a letter. Here's another question here. What do we think happens if we minimize or neglect to tell about that part of the gospel? I think it goes to being a faithful witness. Being a faithful witness of the whole truth and helping people to understand that there is, there is, that you can't sit on the fence, you can't be in the middle. There is a consequence. There is something that happens. And that's where the urgency, we talked about the urgency of Jesus' call to repentance. That's where the urgency comes in. That's why the Bible says in the book of Hebrews that today is the day of salvation. Don't wait. Don't put it off, because there is an urgency in the call to repentance, and there is an urgency in sharing the gospel, and there is an urgency of uh, letting people know the whole truth, you know? I know it's been compared to this before, but, I mean, if, if somebody out there found a miracle cure for every bad disease in the whole world that you could think of, and they just kept it to themselves, man, how horrible that would be. And we've got... The cure, if we can say it that way and keep the application the same, to the worst problem that anyone has, and that is the sin problem, was we can share with them Jesus Christ, the great physician who heals our spiritual hurt, which is the, you know, at the end of everything, a person dies, and if they go to heaven, then they've gained eternal life. But at the end of everything, a person dies and goes to hell, then they have lost everything. And we have the ability to give that gift to somebody. And so often, and I'm guilty of it too, so, so often we just we don't share it the way that we should. So we apply these lessons, hopefully, in our lives. Point people to Christ, as John did. 
find our joy in exalting who Jesus is. Being a faithful witness of the whole gospel of salvation and also of the wrath and judgment. We all deserve the same punishment. And so remembering that as God is gracious and patient with us, we can extend grace and patience to those who are lost as well. And being careful also, especially not to water down or change the message of God. Uh, John didn't water it down. He didn't change it to fit what was going on around him. Uh, He was a true witness of Jesus. He was a true witness and faithful of all the whole gospel, the whole council. And we have to also, in the same way, be the true witness of the whole council in those ways. Pointing to Christ, finding joy in exalting Jesus, and being a faithful witness. Any other comments or questions tonight or thoughts on this tonight? All right, well, let's stand to our feet.